Our sermon text today is Amos 7, beginning in verse 10 through verse 17. Would you, out of respect for God's word, if you are able now, please rise as I read that text to you. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go! Flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we look once more to your word now and we ask that you would speak. Speak. Speak, O Lord. And help us to hear your voice. Help us to see your truth. Help us to know your person as you have made yourself abundantly evident to us, the person of Christ Jesus. Help us to know Jesus better because of this time we are spending together. And help us to love you more on account of your love which was first shown to us. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, as we pick up here in Amos chapter 7, of course, we're in the middle of this chapter, and and it would be helpful, I guess, to give us a little bit of context to remember where we were last week. We finished off at the end of of last week's passage in verses 8 and 9, and there the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. It was not a pleasant message. It was a message of judgment. It was a message not just that judgment was coming sometime far off in the future, so don't really worry about it now because it won't affect you. No, it was a message that judgment is coming and it is coming soon. It was drawing near. Now, none of us like to receive a message like that, right? We love getting good news, but getting bad news is no fun. And especially getting bad news when the bad news is coming your way on account of yourself and the things you have done 
Well, none of us like that because not only is it bad news, but it's criticism too. And none of us likes to be criticized. Well, as you'd expect, the high priest of Bethel, Amaziah, is no different than us. He, he didn't like the message that was being given to him by Amos. That's how it normally works. We need to understand that. So it is that, that whenever we proclaim the truth of God's word, we can expect that we will get some pushback. There will be those who don't want to hear what we have to say. And they will oppose us. Peter tells us the same in 1 Peter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Jesus had said as much to his disciples beforehand. Remember in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We don't normally rejoice when opposition comes against us. We don't normally be glad in the face of trials and persecution. It's not something that we normally do. Sometimes we might even shrink back from it. But we ought not to do as much. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus says in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Right? That means that that if we are faithful, we will have persecution come our way. People will be angry at us. They'll speak out against us. Now, that doesn't mean that we should go out of our way trying to, to draw it, trying to find it, right? I, I think sometimes people kind of wear it as a badge of honor, right? I got 37 people angry at me today, right? I must be really holy. You know, and, and that's kind of backwards right that's not the goal isn't to get people angry at us the goal is to proclaim truth right and if people get angry at us as a result then so be it but I, I love how I saw uh, one person put it, Ronnie Martin put it this way uh, he said it says in scripture that we're to be as wise as serpents not as despised as serpents winsomeness is the posture of wise women and men. Indeed it is. We should be winsome in our posture. We should, we should try to be in such a way that we present the truth in a way that is, is receivable for people, in a way that they can hear it and say that makes sense. We should be loving and kind and, and welcoming and generous, hospitable, so that when people listen to us, they, they give us an audience, they hear us. They might actually even even receive the word of truth that we are proclaiming. But there are times when that is not possible. There are times when, when we just simply need to proclaim the truth regardless of the opposition. What does this look like? Well, it looks a lot like what Amos is doing in today's text. 
proclaiming the message that the Lord has given him. That's what we need to do. And it will often bring that opposition. It will come in lots of different ways. I think we see five ways, at least, in this passage alone, that opposition comes against those who proclaim the truth of God's word. People will distort what you say. People will threaten you with danger. People will write you off as an outsider. People will appeal to your self-interest. and People will claim higher authority. Our passage starts off with Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Right? And he is, he is unheard of anywhere else in Scripture. This is the only place where we know anything about him. But, but we do remember that what was going on at Bethel was, was something that was wrong. It was an affront to God. You remember that Jeroboam had set up these, these other high places in the north of Israel, right? That because he did not want people going to the southern kingdom, he did not want them heading back to Judah, specifically to Jerusalem, where, where God had said his temple would reside. So he set up these other places in Israel. Bethel was the primary one of them, the first one that Amos would have come to as he was coming from the south. It was a place of opposition to the true God. It was perhaps politically shrewd, right? Because he didn't want the people to go down to the south, go down to Judah, realize that that's where they needed to go. But, but it was theologically unfaithful. He had, he had wandered from that which he should have been doing. And so Amaziah is the one who's, who's the priest there, who's in charge of keeping things running. He's, he's in charge of this, this, this cultic operation that is going on in this place, this, this place that is sacrilegious in its very essence and what it's doing. Right? And, and we see that he responds to the words that have been spoken by Amos by saying in verse 10 to Jeroboam the king, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear his words. When we see this reference to his words, we are taken back to the very beginning of Amos. I don't expect you to remember this. It's been many, many, many weeks since we started Amos. But you'll recall if you look back, if you flip back in your Bible to Amos 1, Verse 1 begins with this phrase, the words of Amos, right, who was a shepherd of Tekoa. Right? That, that's what it begins. This whole book is the words of Amos. It's the proclamations of Amos. The, the prophecies, the prophetic message that is from Amos. But, but we remember also that the Lord God had called him out of his background. He was a shepherd there in Tekoa. And the Lord God had called him out of that and had sent him with a message. And in verse 2 of chapter 1, we read, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And we're reminded that the words of Amos are not just the words of Amos, but they are the very word of God. So when he speaks, it is the voice of God that comes forth. And Amaziah didn't want to hear it. He says the land is not able to bear all his words. But they're not just his words, they're God's words. He's essentially saying we, we can't stand what God is saying. And 
so he tells the king, Amos has conspired against you. People will distort what you have said. Right? Sometimes they'll, they'll just kind of twist things a little bit, right? They'll, they'll clip off part of your comment, right? And just only part of it, you know, you say, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, it's rained a lot. And you say, you know, well, I need another rainstorm like I need a hole in my head, right? But they clip off, you know, you say, I need another rainstorm. Well, I did say that technically, right? But, but that's kind of twisting what I said if you just quote that part. Sometimes it's not twisting. Sometimes it's not contorting what you said. Sometimes it's just out and out lying. You know, they'll say you said something when you didn't say it at all. And that's what we've got here. He's, he's saying he, he has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. He's accused of being a political conspirator. And politics are often intertwined with the work of, of the uh, of religion, but, but Amos is not at all conspiring against the king here. In fact, he's actually proclaiming a message that is for the king's benefit and for the benefit of the people. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn away from their sinful ways. He's calling them to turn back to Yahweh that they might live and experience joy and experience the life that he's promised them and given them. But this message is getting distorted by Amaziah. And it's funny that he, he mentions this here and he, he doesn't even bring up God at all. He's just talking about Amos' words and, and, and he says he's conspired uh, against you. But as, as Daniel Carroll points out, that, that he mentioned, does not mention God or, or the socioeconomic and political transgressions that the kingdom had, had, uh, had been, been taking, taking place in the kingdom. Uh, he, he doesn't speak about any of them and and by, by not speaking about these things, not speaking about their sin, by, by just glazing over that whole part of it, he actually is working counter to the, the possible benefit of the king and the people, right? Because, because what they need to do is repent. They need to repent. They need to turn away from their sin. But Amaziah is not interested in talking about their sin. He's not interested in talking about repentance. He just wants Amos out of there. For thus Amos has said, Amaziah continues, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile from his hand. Did you catch what Amaziah did there? You might not have, but, but Amaziah says that, that Amos said, Jeroboam, that you're going to die by the sword. Amos said nothing of the sort. Right? He he said that the house of Jeroboam will eventually die by the sword, and it eventually did. Jeroboam did not die by the sword. His son took over for him when he died a peaceful death. His son ultimately did die by the sword, and the house of Jeroboam did terminate in fulfillment of Amos' prediction. But, but you see what Amaziah did here? He twisted his words a little bit, kind of like the serpent in the garden, right? The serpent comes and says, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit of the garden? No, that's not what he said, <laughs> right? But, but that's what people will do. They'll twist your words. They'll, they'll, they'll try to distort what you have to say. A second thing they do is that people will threaten you with danger. Verse 12, Amaziah says to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land 
of Judah. He says, flee away. Now there's a, 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 we don't want to get too into the Hebrew here. Nobody's here to come to a Hebrew class. But, but I'll give you just real basic understanding. This phrase here is, is an emphatic construction, which, which kind of, like, the way it's set up, it, it, it's emboldening, it's saying, it's saying it boldly and loudly. It's got like an exclamation mark next to it or, or a double underline underneath it, essentially. Right? He's saying, go, flee away. And, and the second thing about it is that there's, there's most commentators agree, uh, a sense that, that is underwritten in this phrase that, that's unspoken, but, but it's there. And Hebrew ear would have heard it. Say, go away for your own good, right? For your own good. It's kind of like, let's say we're watching a, a mafia movie, right? And, and, and one of the characters says to somebody in that movie, if you know what's best, you'll take a vacation down south, right? Or, or an old western, you know, this town's not big enough for the both of us, right? I mean, there's no actual threat of physical violence in either of those but anybody who hears it knows that if you don't get out of dodge you're going to get killed that's kind of the sense here right say flee go away get out for your own good there's this implied danger in him staying now we're in a situation here in america where we don't generally face that kind of danger but there are places in the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ face that very real danger. If they are to proclaim the truth of the gospel, they will be thrown in prison at best. They will lose their life at worst. It's possible that the day could come where we would face that day here in America. What we should be doing in the meantime is praying praying for our brothers and sisters of Christ who face it today, and praying that God would steal our souls, that we would be ready for it should it ever come our way here in America. We, we need to be prepared for whatever threats of danger will come our way, and we need to trust in God in the face of all of them. A third thing, people will write you off as an outsider, right? We, we, we don't like to listen to somebody who's not one of us. Right? Somebody who comes from a, a different background, maybe. He doesn't have quite the same experience as us. And they come and they tell us the stuff. They're like, well, you, you just don't get it. You're not one of us. You don't understand, right? And that, that's kind of what's going on here again. He, he tells him, go flee to the land of Judah. Remember, that's where Amos is from. He's from Judah. He's, he's not from Israel. He's from down there, right? And, and, and here he has the gall to come talk to us and tell us what we should do when, when he's one of them, Right? People will write you off because, because if we are faithfully following the scriptures, if we are living as disciples of Christ Jesus, we will be other. We will be different. We should be different. But people don't like to listen to different people. Right? I was reminded as I thought about this this week just of, of the passage in John 1, right? When Philip brings news of the Christ to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel asks him, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? It's the same provincial mindset, right? Nazareth? Up there? Can anything come out of there? That's good. Or we even saw it in our Unison Scripture reading, didn't we? Right? When they were, they were talking in the Unison Scripture reading, they said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? 
Go, go look at the scriptures and start to see that no prophet could, could possibly come from Galilee, right? You know, it can't happen from there. You know, it's like, I mean, that would be like saying, you know, you know wait, a prophet from Ohio? Come on, get real, right? Guess what? God could raise up somebody even from Ohio. He is able. He does work in mysterious ways. Right, and there's, there's a sense here in which he's saying, I think, uh, you know, that, that there's self-interest involved here. He says, you know, go, go back down south and you'll have a more successful ministry, right? Because those people will listen to you. We don't want to hear what you have to say, but, but it'd be better for you, right? You, you'll probably have larger crowds. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to build a bigger following. You'll become more popular. You'll, you'll have people singing your praises down there, Amos. Head down there. You'll be, you'll be a celebrity, celebrity pastor. You know, maybe they'll have billboards up. Maybe you'll get a book deal out of it. I don't know. Maybe you can have a really influential TV ministry or something like that. You know, that, that's what he's saying to him there. In fact, there might be a little bit of money in it for you, Amos. Right? He says, go, go and eat bread there and prophesy there. That's the idea, to eat bread there, right? He's like, like, make a living, be fed, get some money. You know, there were prophets at times got paid. They, they had an income from that. And, and I think we can see from the way that Amaziah is going about this that he is in the business because of self-interest, right? He's, he's a very self-interested priest here. He's not so much concerned about the truth of what God has to say. Is he's like, well, well, kind of what best benefits me? And, and so it's only natural that he'd assume Amos was as well, right? That's how, that's how it works. If, we are a, a, if you're a dishonest person, you kind of assume that everybody else is lying. If you're, if you're a thief, you're kind of always worried that somebody's gonna steal something from you. If you're argumentative by nature, then you kind of assume that any question that comes your way is really, really a, an argument or an accusation, right? And you can't have a civil discourse as a result, right? But, but Amos didn't care about money. He already had a job, right? He was, the, he was the, the dresser of sycamore figs, and he was a shepherd and a herdsman. That's what this passage tells us. That's what we already knew from way back in chapter 1. He, he had a steady source of income. He didn't need to become a prophet to earn some money on the side. Right? But he had been called by God. He had been called by God and given a message that he might proclaim the word of God. And he would not back off from that duty. So finally, Amaziah goes to his one last thing. He's, he, he claims higher authority. Right? He tries to pull rank on him. He says, okay. Never again prophesy at Bethel, verse 13, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. This is kind of strange language for us. You know, we're steeped in this whole idea of the, the separation of church and state, and so it, it's kind of weird. I, I was in England not too long ago, and we visited Westminster Abbey, and it was a wonderful experience. It was really neat to go to this this historic place that's been there for a thousand years and, and has seen so much history. But it, it was kind of, kind of astonishing to me to, to see how much of the things that were in there really had nothing to do 
with Jesus or the Bible or Christianity or religion. You know, as you walk in, the door on the floor right there in front of you is a memorial to Winston Churchill. Right? And then actually right behind you over here then, there's, there's one to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Actually, not even an Englishman, right? But because of World War II, he helped save England through his work. You know, and then you go around and there's all these different artists and, and there's a memorial over there to Charles Darwin and then there's another one over here to somebody else. And, and it's just weird. It's just kind of weird. But, but for them, it's not weird because they have a state church. Right? And, and that's kind of what's happening here is there's this idea of this state church. And Amaziah says... This sanctuary is the king's sanctuary. It's, it's the king's temple. Well, he's kind of missed something altogether there, hasn't he? Right? I mean, I think he's right. It, it was the king's temple. It was the king's sanctuary. But a true temple and a true sanctuary belongs to no king but Jesus. Right? He, he doesn't speak at all about God here. Right? That, that's the temple you need to go to. That's the sanctuary you need to go to. Is the one that belongs not to a king, but to, to God. And so we see that Amaziah has totally misread the situation. He's totally misread Amos. And as we said before, our basic assumptions shape our thoughts. And so, faced with all this opposition, Amos does not think like Amaziah thinks he will think. And he does not act as Amaziah hopes he will act. What he does instead is he acts along the lines of what the apostles did in Acts 5. And in Acts 5, if you want to flip there in your Bible, or I can just read it to you here, it talks about how uh, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. And they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. You see, what the apostles were doing is they were proclaiming the truth of the gospel. They were proclaiming what God had revealed to them. The authorities did not like that. The government didn't like that. They put them in prison. But what happened, we read, is that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach, right? It would have been easy, you know, they got let out of prison, like, okay, let's go hide now, right? Because we know that if they get us again, they're just going to throw us back in here. So, so the last thing we want to do is make ourselves conspicuous, you know, return to the scene of the crime, as it were. But that's not what they did. We see that they went at daybreak, at first opportunity, they went and resumed their preaching of the word of God. And we see that what happens is the authorities get them again, just like we knew they would. They bring them before the council. The high priest questioned them in verse 28, saying, 
We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Right, so so Amos here is the same as they are. Remember what he said way back in chapter three, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? He fears no man. He fears no man whatsoever, but he fears God. And so he must proclaim his truth. So Amos answers Amaziah in verse 14 and says, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs, right? He says, I didn't just stumble into this. This isn't something I chose. I'm not even, I'm not even he says, uh, you know, the son of a prophet. I, I, it's not like it was the family business, right? Or, or perhaps the idea behind that son of a prophet was he was a student of a prophet, right? And so all that prophet, all his students would be his sons, kind of colloquially, right? He says, none of that. I had a job. I was doing this thing. God called me. He sent me here. The Lord took me from following the flock, verse 15. He said, go prophesy to my people Israel. I didn't choose to do this. The Lord God made that call, right? And the Lord often sends us when he calls us to something. He, He tells us to go oftentimes, right? That's what he said to Abraham, Genesis 12. Go from your country. Moses in Exodus 3, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. Isaiah, go and say this to the people, Isaiah 6. And of course, most famously, Christ Jesus our Lord, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It's not that that we all are kind of blank slate. We get to decide. We're going to tip one way or the other. And if you believe in Jesus, you've done the right work. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you failed that test and you fall off the other. No, the fact is we are all born in sin. Each and every one of us stands condemned from our very birth, from before our birth even, as we are in the womb, as we are are but a fetus. We are already condemned in our sin that we have inherited from Adam. And then we have one way, but one way to be saved That is through trusting in Christ Jesus, the only Son of God. He who has paid the penalty for our sins, dying on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God, and freeing us from the penalty of sin. Trust in him and be saved today. That is the gospel. And we as the disciples of Jesus are are sent out with that message. He tells us, go with that message. Right, Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, go and make disciples of nations. And so, so where are we to go? Well, well, we should go around the world. And that's what we do through our missions projects, right? We go around the world. And, and if not physically, we, we send people 
to go on our behalf, right? But, but perhaps we should be doing more going ourselves. And even if we don't go around the world, we might go across the street or, or, or across the workplace. Go to somebody else and share the truth with them. Maybe we go to Bible study, to a Wednesday night gathering, to Sunday school, to worship on Sunday mornings, right? Not just so we can be fed, but so that we can serve. We can be a part of the, the sharing of the gospel with others. Used by God, he can use even a shepherd from Tekoa in Israel. He can use us for his purposes here. And so Amos says, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. He appeals not to his own wisdom, but to the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. And he brings a word of judgment against Amaziah, who serves as a symbol for all of Israel at this point. Right? He, he says, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. Your sons, your daughters shall fall before the sword. Your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land. Israel shall surely go into exile from its land. The fate of Amaziah and his family is a dreadful one. And it is a picture of what awaits an unrepentant Israel. And brothers and sisters, it's a picture of what awaits us if we are unrepentant as well. If we do not find our security in Christ Jesus. If we do not trust in him and in him alone. And notice the sense of finality there and the fact that he says, thus says the Lord. It's the final time he uses that phrase in this book. And here's what I want to take in closing. I want you to take very quickly from all of this. Yahweh must be our God. We cannot turn to other gods. We cannot create other gods. We, we can only be saved by the means that he has given us to be saved. We don't have our, our choice of a cornucopia of different ways that we can be saved. We must turn to the one way he has given us, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And secondly, if we maintain this truth, oh, we will face opposition because, because people don't like the exclusivity of the gospel claim, the claim of Christ Jesus to be the only way. So we will face opposition. We must face it like Amos. But this is not just a be like Amos message with no explanation of how to be like Amos. The way we be like Amos when we are having the things distorted that we've said, when we're threatened with danger, when we're, when we're written off as outsiders and people appeal to our self-interest and, and they pull rank on us claiming a higher authority. It's, it's by having our confidence and our faithfulness and our hope in the face of that opposition similar to that of Amos. Right? And, and, and being able to sing from our hearts those familiar words, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Right? Because he has faced all these things. Right? He, he had his words distorted all the time. He, he was not only threatened with danger, but actually crucified on the cross. He, he 
not only had people write him off as an outsider, but reject him altogether. They, they appealed to his self-interest. You know, it would be better for you to just be quiet here. Just, just maybe go to a different town. Get out of here, Jesus. They even tried to claim a higher authority as Pilate stood before him. Jesus reminded him that whatever authority he had came from his father. And that very same spirit that had dwelt Christ Jesus, his spirit, now dwells within us. That's the promise of God, right? If we trust in him, we have that spirit. So the very same spirit that enables Jesus to stand up to all of this opposition enables us to as well. And so, my brothers and sisters, he can be our fortress of protection no matter what opposition we face. And we can always find our peace in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, so often we look to other places for peace, but we know that you are the, the only source of true peace, so may we look now to your way. May we look to your truth. May we look to your life. May we look to Christ Jesus. Give us eyes to see him, hearts to love him, minds to know him. Make us his through and through. We pray this in his glorious name. Amen. If you're able now, would you rise with me as we sing, God has spoken by his prophets. It's printed in your bulletin.